Gotta wait for her out. There I am. Well, welcome out. So glad to see all your beautiful faces. Dr. Shelley can pull a crowd. <laughs> so we just want to say welcome, and we're so glad that you are here. And we're just going to open and turn our hearts to the Lord. So if you would just stand with me. It's not too often that she comes into town, so we're just going to jump right in. All right. So um, I will tell you, those of you, some of you don't know and don't come on Sunday mornings, but um, Dr. Shelley and I met in Russia uh, quite a few years back, had a heart connect. She launched a doctorate and it was something I was praying about. And she called me right in the middle of writing it all and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, hey, let me be a part. And she let me be a part, and it has transformed my lives and lives of 300 other participants, and it's just wrecked us all completely. So we uh, talked her into coming and hanging with us for an entire week just to pour into us, and what a blessing. I'm just saying um, I have loved every second. She's not gotten a lot of sleep. In fact, I have to force her to go to bed because we could talk all night long. Um, <laughs> So it's just good, and I'm really looking forward to our teaching tonight, and I hope all you are as well. So let's just bow our heads. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you are faithful and good. Lord, it's not words that we take for granted in these times and seasons. You're just faithful and good. Lord, and we just love you so much, and we just thank you so much for our, our beautiful friend all the way from Arizona here tonight. God, we ask that you would just flow through her freely like we know that you will father and I just ask that we all every single one of us would walk out transformed in one way or another God that you would take the soil of our heart and you would soften it right now in Jesus name Lord that you would open our ears to hear your voice and what you are speaking to us specifically God that you would renew our mind tonight as we meditate on your word uh, through Dr. Shelley God that we would walk out forever changed and marked from this moment tonight, God. Lord, we just worship you with our understanding. Lord, we worship you with um, just learning more about you, God, that, that worship isn't just something that we do, it's something that we are. And we just worship you with all that we are right now in this moment, God, that you would be glorified and that we would have our hearts and our minds, our bodies and our souls turned to you, fixated on you right now, God. Lord, that the day would be pushed away in this moment and you would be our focus. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. God, in your grace, is just so good. Just be glorified, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dr. Shelley. Do you need a mic stand? Um, I guess that one's Or do you want the little thing? Maybe turn it up. I can use my hands. You're okay with it? I'm okay. Okay. So, you see, they're used to me talking with my hands, and so <laughs> they're they're concerned. Wow, good good to be with you all again. And I may sit or I'm like a fidgety person, so I sit and stand. And all, a lot of us were together over the weekend, and so that's exciting too. And you know, I delved into something on the weekend that I kind of wanted to go into deeper tonight, and so we're going to do that. But. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of um, 
my story, I know a lot of you heard it, but there's a lot of parts to my story, just like there's a lot of parts to your story. And uh, God is continually writing our story. And uh, even when Angel prayed, you know, worship isn't something we do, it's something we are. And salvation isn't something we have, it's something we do as well. We walk in salvation and we grow in salvation. It isn't an, it isn't an event it's an encounter that leads to a journey. And too often, especially in our Western mindset, we look at, we look at all, all things Christian as event. Church is an event. Well, according to scripture, it's not an event. It's a, it's a people and a movement that is going forth for God. We are the church, each individually. And as I know you guys have been on an evangelism series, and so I wanted to, um, I just kind of wanted to, piggyback off that but you know my heart and my lane in the kingdom right now is spiritual formation I teach it at uh, Grand Canyon University along with Christian worldview I I just eat drink and sleep it (laughs) so uh, anybody who's around me I'm going to start talking about it and uh, I just want to share a couple I want to we're going to be in Luke um, chapter 12 and uh we're going to go into, into it for a little bit, but um, I want to share a little bit about, you know, my journey and kind of how, how God began to really speak to me through Luke chapter 12. Uh, one of the things that um, we need to realize is, first and foremost, how long we're going to live. Now, those of you who are with me over the weekend, we can see if you, if you really took notes. How long are we going to live? Forever. And, you know, a lot of times I should, I should have angel draw for me, right? Because uh, just to give you a visual, since the board's here, I'm going to use it for a minute. I want, you to, I want us to realize something. And the people who were with me yesterday <laughs> saw this. So I'm like on, on a long tour here. It's kind of fun. So a lot of things, and maybe I shared this with you in the retreat, our life is linear. We have a birth, Right. A birth date, and we have a death into life date. Scripture tells us we pass from death to life, and so this is really uh, a launching pad into the into the forever, tangibly in our in our body. But we're living in the forever now, and we have different markers along our life, and so we all have a linear path with with God and with our life. But our life is also very complex and very deep and there are so many nuances to how our our life goes and at any step along the way we want to encounter God we should encounter God and be transformed every time we meet with God and he meets with us there should be a shift in us we become more like him and sometimes those shifts are subtle and sometimes they're very profound and I'm gonna Jen's watching out for me uh in uh, t- 2016, 17, I started to go into one of those profound shifts with God. Um, I'd grown up not in church. I became a believer in my uh, early 20s and uh, then uh, launched right into, I felt like God wanted me to get ready for something. I told my husband in my, in my naive state of Christianity, God told me to get ready. Literally heard him say, get ready. Not audibly, but in my spirit. And so the only frame of reference I had for that was to go to school which is fun for me. It's an act of worship. And so I started training to be a minister and uh, was under the leadership of a great pastor. I still consider him my spiritual dad in a small town, uh, doing everything I could to just grow in knowing the Lord. And about um, 
five year, about 1999, we felt God getting ready to shift us. And right before, right after we felt God getting ready to shift us, the company that my husband worked for shut down. And uh, we decided that God wanted us to go into a full-time pastorate. And so, which was me going into a full-time pastorate. He doesn't, he doesn't pastor. He's not a minister. And, uh, so he, we sold, we sold everything, sold our home, moved our children, which were, you know, between the ages of seven and 16 and left the town that they had all grown up in to move to the city and uh, pastor a church. I did that for over 14 years. My kids grew up there and so forth. And, uh, during that time is when my youngest began to really push me into missions. I was a senior pastor. I'd been for a long time and never been on a missions trip. And, uh, she wanted to go to Russia and uh, she started asking when she was 12. And the ministry that she was going with lets you go when you're 13. And every year that she would ask, I'd say, no, I don't think that's what God wants. And um, you don't need to go to Russia. Uh, all the while, this terrified mom is there. And uh, finally, the Lord just really, he told me one day, he goes, who do you think she belongs to? And I'm like, well, you? <laughs> Because that's right. <laughs> you gave her to me. I dedicated at birth. I gave her to you, and you gave her to me. And uh, the ministry team that she was going to go with sat me one day because they knew she wanted to go every year. And you, they said, do you know what the problem is here? And I said, I, yes, I do. It's me. So usually it always is us. That's the problem. And so God began to shift my heart. And I, and I like to reason with God a lot of times. God, I'll let her go, but you got to give me something. Send someone I know. Whether and so at that time I sent my children's pastor who miraculously got her her passport and everything within six weeks and they went to Russia the next year you know if we just lean in God really does speak to us the next year we had everybody wanting to go to Russia she had she had broke open something and everyone to, one wanted to go and so we were building up like a team of six and one day I said to my husband I think I need to go and he goes I don't think so, so he's stopping me now and I said, really, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to back out, and she's going to be alone. And I really feel like I need to go. And wouldn't you know, everybody backed out. But I had already set to go, and it was a sweet time for her and I to go together and be a part of the mission trip. That may have been when we met on that one. And uh, I was forever changed by missions and by going out and by serving the Lord in that area. And she was forever changed. Now she uh, travels regularly. She lived in Korea for a couple years married a man who is uh, half Korean from Kentucky. <laughs> and so he was living in Korea teaching. He was there for six years. I, I told him, I'm sorry you had to wait for so long for her to get here. But uh, they came back. They've been back since February, and they're already talking about going back. She sat me down one day. She goes, Mom, you know I'm not going to stay here forever. I said, I hold on to you very loosely. <laughs> so I know you're going to go. But she, uh, th those um, trips begin to challenge me, the whole uh, surrendering everything. If I know I'm going to live forever in the forever, God is training me, the journey I'm on for, from 16 till 20, of not holding on tightly to the things here. And sometimes in our own fear, in our own insecurities, in our own wanting to build our own kingdom, because we're always building one of two kingdoms. We're, one could be one of three. We're, we could be helping with the kingdom of darkness, building it. We could be building the kingdom of self, 
or we could be, get, be working on the kingdom of God. And I can tell you that we will wrestle between that kingdom of self and kingdom of God. Sometimes we just want our own way, and we don't surrender completely to the Lord. I was counseling a girl, kind of coaching her into next life places one time, and she lived in Australia. And um, in Australia, it's very hard to get a home, and once you get it, you know, you don't want to let it go. And she had three small children and a husband who had a great career there. Uh, and she uh, began to say she was feeling called to go to Bethel School of Ministry in California. And I said, well, if God's in it, go and, and sell everything and go. And her family freaked out. Matter of fact, her parents, she's, she's a 35-year-old woman, and her parents wanted to meet with me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And uh, the person who said, hey, her parents want to talk to you, said they're afraid you're telling her to leave everything and go to California. And I said, well, number one, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. But number two, isn't that like God? That he would call us to, you know, in our mindset, we think God wouldn't call me to surrender that. Why wouldn't he? He calls us all over the place. He calls us to surrender all the time. And so I met with the family and encouraged them, or at least talked them off the ledge. And she's been in California now almost four years. Completed three years with Bethel School of Ministry. She's a singer, a worshiper, and songwriter. Uh, her husband is in the film industry. He just uh, completed a movie that was out before the election about uh, President Trump, the Trump I know. And God is doing great things. Matter of fact, she was going to go for part of it. And this, you know, we are connected in a lot of ways. And she's in California and I'm in Arizona and the Holy Spirit puts her on my heart real heavy. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And she goes, just trying to decide if I want to go to year two of Bethel School of Ministry. And I, uh, or I said, are you going to year two? And she goes, I don't think so. I don't think right now. And uh, I said, well, I feel like the Lord wants me to share something with you. And I just began to type into Facebook what I felt God was saying. And she said, you know, that that shifted me. And she went on and finished the two. Year one was good, but it didn't launch her to places she thought she was going to go because God had to deal with some stuff inside. Year two was awesome. And she went in year three. And now she's really launched into destiny and purpose. Sometimes we have to be willing to be that ground that God can use to get us where we need to go to be ready to surrender everything. We sold everything again in 2017, and we were going to go to the state of Georgia to work with Teen Challenge, Home of Ho Teen Challenge International. And uh, I was telling Angel today that, uh, I think I was telling you, I was telling someone, every time I went to Georgia, I was angry. And I, and it, I didn't know this is, uh, we can have, we have our rational mind and then we have our emotional mind that connects to the spirit of God. And maybe this is, this is a tell for some of us. If there's some things we do and they make us angry, we've got to look at it. And so I had to go to the Lord and I said, why am I angry? I'm so angry. Uh, and, uh, the Lord began to speak to me. You know, sometimes it's, there has to be a shift in you. He showed me, I didn't, this, this isn't going to happen. I have something else I want you to do. And so I had to go to the ministry team and say, listen, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I worked with them for a year. I went to Siberia, was able to minister in a lot of places. I said, but this is, this is not the lane God is calling me to right now. And they recognized it too, and they blessed me and prayed over me. We're still connected. And I still work with, we all work with Home of Hope on a local level, and hopefully we'll be able to work in other ways. But I had to be willing to risk everything to hear where the Lord wanted me to be. And in that being, he began to speak to me. He goes, the lane I put you in is what you're doing, E5. And I want you to grow that. 
and to move in it. And how many of you ever had God, you know he's asking you to do something big and it's terrifying. It's supposed to be. If it was something we could do in our own strength, if it was something we could do in our own ability, if it was something we were completely confident about, why would we need God? And we were created to need God. And he has invited us to be in his life and to, and to share in all that he is doing. And maybe you're not called to go to the mission field or to sell everything, but we all have a part of mission and we all have a part of reaching the lost, which is evangelism. And some of us, some of us um, give and some of us go and some of us send and some of us pray. Well, we all should be praying. And so we are all involved in a lot of ways and each part is very important. You know, if you, you have, I know you have your missions bottle and so forth, and I hope you consider that because the, even the cinders, you will have as much uh, grace from the Lord and as much gifting from the Lord and reward from the Lord as those who went. Matter of fact, there's a portion of scripture in 1 Samuel 20, 30, 24 that makes me think of that. And David needs to go back into, uh, he's been at battle and he comes home and everything's been taken. His men come in from battle and they've taken the women and they've taken everything and they're ready to go after David. And David goes to the Lord and said, should I go after the stuff? And he said, yes. And some of the people are weary and they're like, listen, we can't go into another battle, but we'll stay here and we'll watch what's left. And David says to them, for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by with the baggage. In other words, whether we go down in or if it's not in us to go in, but we stay here and we do our part, we've got to do something and we're going to get the reward as if we were in the battle. Now, that changes the idea of missions and evangelism even more, doesn't it? That whether, whatever I do, I'm in this, and God recognizes the work of every person. And so I want to share, Luke shares important aspects of mission with his uh, recording of the words of Christ through many parables. And he, this parable, that we're, the story we're going to look at, really shows the, the passion and the practice that we should have in our lives and that we should have a right focus we should be con- we should be focused on the eternal we should be focused on the ever listen if your vision of your life is just that linear line can i tell you right now your vision is too small and too short the rewards on this earth are what you get but the rewards in heaven are eternal and what you do on this earth begins to place up in heaven an eternal reward. And so if, I, if you're going to have the best retirement plan, it's not how much you can put in uh, E.F. Hutton or whoever it is nowadays. It's what are you pouring into the heavenly bank account? What are you placing that's going before you? And st- you know, money, does money go before you? Yes, it does. When you give it to the kingdom, when you rightly steward what you're supposed to do, prayers absolutely go before you. Love goes before you. People go before you and the impact that you have on them. So Luke says we have to have a right focus, and we also have to have a radical faith. And radical faith scares people. You're like, I don't want to get weird. I can remember when I first got uh, healed, went through an inner healing. I I was already an ordained minister. I'd been in ministry um, 10 years and had an encounter with God. Like I invited you all to, that was my encounter 
with God at a different level. And I was forever, forever changed. And everybody around me, not because of me, but because of the forever change of God in me has been changed as well. Because, because freedom is contagious. And so is bondage. What do you want to spread? I want to spread freedom, and I want to spread uh, a whole, uh, uh, what do we have to lose? Even if we get it wrong, God is still so good, and he honors faith. Even if it doesn't turn out the way we think, he honors faith. And so right now, my husband and I are, you know, we're in our 50s, but uh, we also know we're going to live forever, so we're pretty much teenagers in the kingdom of God, or even toddlers, <laughs> if we look at forever, and we don't really have a lot to, to our name earthly-wise. And that's okay, we're taken care of. And God is giving us opportunity to impact the kingdom. We're actually looking at having less to our, to, that we're holding on to so that we can be more flexible about where he wants to go. So we've got to have right focus, radical faith, and we need to understand the perspective of real riches. And so I want to look at Luke uh, chapter 12. Now, if you read 1 through um, one through 12, and I'll, uh, we have time, so I'll go ahead and read it. And I like to do like whole chapter messages. <laughs> so are you with me? With me. So in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, so can you consider the crowd? For a minute, they were walking all over each other. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is a religious mindset that is not of God. It's the leaven of the religious and not those in relationship. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever is said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. Then he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. And that's God. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledged me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We'll pause there for a moment because I want you to recognize that this this first part of Luke is full of comparisons of the temporal with the eternal. Jesus is among thousands of people gathered to hear his teaching and receive blessings of the supernatural manifestations of healing, deliverance, and provision. He had already done this everywhere he went. And he warns of the danger of hypocrisy in the church. And he promises that all things will be revealed. And with that, he reminds us, don't be afraid of the person who can kill your body, temporal, but be afraid of the one who has authority to cast your soul into hell, eternal. 
So he's saying, don't worry about the temporal, whether you're going to live or die. Worry about if you're going to live forever with me or not. He promises that everyone who acknowledges him before men, temporal, that temporary on this earth kind of uh, mindset, is temporal, but he acknowledges, but he will acknowledge that person who does the temporal before God, eternal. So acknowledge me before men, that's a temporal thing, you're obedient. But you do that, and I will acknowledge you before God. This one is one of ours, Lord. He tells the disciples, don't worry about how to defend yourselves with your own words, temporal. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say, eternal. So you see the comparison there that he is showing the temporal versus the eternal. And so he, he starts this teaching on the temporal versus the eternal, kind of a deep teaching, right? He's laying it into them and telling them, this is, this is what I want you to look at. And everyone who's hungry for the Lord should be really listening at this time because it's the word of God speaking. And so what happens? He jumps into a parable, and this is how the parable happens. Someone in the crowd in verse 13 said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I, I was just talking to you about eternal versus temporal, and you go here. This is where you go. But he said to him, Jesus says this, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, in our, in our worldly mindset, we often look at what you have as a marker for who you are. And God says, your life isn't in your possessions. That's a temporal thing. You can't take it with you. And so don't be, be careful to guard against that. Covetousness, you can be poor as dirt and be, and be covetous, wanting what you can't have and what you can't get. Matter of fact, it's one of the ten. Do not covet. And uh, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so I want us to think about that. He, here they are worrying about the, it, the temporal, and he's trying to teach them to be on the right focus that he'd already shared to the crowd. And yet, like I said, you'd think they would be reflective, but they, all they're thinking about is the temporal. Tell my brother to divide his goods. Tell him to give me something. And uh, we need to think about that word. Covetousness is a temporal thing. And one's life, which how long are we going to live? Forever. Is eternal. And our life is not bound up in temporal things. It's in an eternal place. The rich man was looking at his crop, a temporal, temporary thing, and decided to plan his future on his crops. He tore down the barns he had, and he built bigger barns. And then he says to himself, soul, Relax. But see, our life, just like my daughter's life was not mine, our life is not ours. It belongs to God. And he can call it back anytime he wants. And we don't have the control over that. 
at any moment, someone was sharing with me a story of a man who said, I think it was Ernie or someone, he said, he said, I'm going to wait to the end and then I'll give my heart to the Lord. That's dangerous. And you may think that it would be great to just get into the Get, just get into the kingdom and skin in by our teeth. But with, you know what that shows? That we have no revelation of the kingdom. Do you really want just the outskirts of God? We want everything. I don't know about you, but I want to be right up next to him. I want to have lived my life in such a way that he's like, I can trust her. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use her to my glory here and there. So we can't look at the temporal because we don't know when our souls will be gathered at us. And I, I want to read something. He said, so, so is the one, this fool, who lays up for himself, treasures for himself, and now is not rich towards God. Now, God is not saying that wealth is wrong. He's not saying that there. On the contrary, wealth is a great tool. What we have, we can use for the kingdom. It's the matter of focus that can be wrong. So I'm not saying sell everything you have and live in, a, live in a tent. I'm saying make sure your focus is not on the temporary, but on the eternal. That God knows that if he can, he, God knows he can give it to you because you won't hold it so tightly when he wants to use it for something else. So it's a matter of focus. If all we do is gather to ourselves, for ourselves, we are fools. James Elliott said that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can give up what we can't keep it anyways, but there are some things that we will never lose. And so the focus is that we're not just for ourselves. We gather and we give extravagantly towards the things that matter to God. And by the way, things don't matter to God. People do. Jesus, remind, Jesus reminds us quite effectively that we are stewards. We are not owners. Everything, even our lives, is his, and he can ask for it back anytime he wants. And so when you perceive yourself as an owner, you clench your fists tightly around everything that you have. It's mine, mine, mine. And you fear of losing it. Stewards are willing to hold their hands open. And allow God to, to take it without, uh, their fear is not losing what they have. Their fear is missing God. And that's why he tells us not to be hypocrites like the religious who say they're all about God, but are really about themselves. Our focus must be longer than the temporal. It must be on the eternal. And, I, and that is sometimes a street fight. We live in the temporal. It pulls at us. It distracts us. It challenges us. And so we have to be mindful to lean into the eternal. And to do that, it requires a radical faith. And Jesus talks about that as we continue on. So he gives the, understand, the analogy of the temporal versus the eternal. He gives the parable to show how that can be lived out in our lives. And then he shares this. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, I'm starting with verse 22, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For your life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Can we pause for a minute? 
I don't know about you, but that, that um, intrigues me, that adding a year to my life is a small thing. I want to figure out how to do it, right? And he says that's a small thing. If you, if you can't even do that small thing, why are you worried about the big things? He said, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. And so we can either search out for it ourselves, or we can dress God to provide it. Now, there's a tension of being a good steward here. But God is saying, if your focus and your worry is your next meal, trust me, I've got more for you than that. So Jesus points out that the anxious ones uh, worry about all the things of this life. What will I eat? Where will I go? What if I lose my job? These are all temporal. And it is the faithful ones who trust God's with their needs and that he will supply it. And so we can ask ourselves, where do we land? You know what? Sometimes I'm fearful. Sometimes I'm faithful. How about you? And then I have to remind myself, he is good. He works all things to the good and pull my soul back into the faithful. Jesus reminds us that our life is more than food. We need a deeper desire than just these surface things, food and fun and all those things. And he tells us that our body is more than clothing. In other words, he's not saying, you know, don't worry, you know, wear sackcloth and ashes. He's, he's saying it's not about the external. God cares so much more about our internal life, our heart, our motives, and our faith. Because those are the things that are going to go completely into the kingdom. He tells, he reveals to us, you know, listen, if God has your heart, he has your money. If he has your heart, he has your time. If he has your heart, he has your prayers and your willingness to serve no matter what. So it is a heart issue. And if you struggle with the things that God is calling you to, we could surmise that there's a heart issue going on. And we need to surrender more of our heart to God. Not just more of our stuff, but more of our heart. Jesus reveals to us that worry over what we have is useless and produces no real solution. And I, I, I bet you could tell me that is true just by example. How many of you have worried, worried, worried and not get anywhere? But you get to pray and leave it in God's hands and a real strategy comes. See, it plays out. Or you have others pray for you and it re it's revealed. He goes as far as calling this worry little faith and worldly thinking. And it reminds you and I, as followers of Christ, that we don't belong to the kingdom of this world. We, like Jesus, belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And we have to think about it. Do you know where you really live? We live there. You know the saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good? I don't think that that can happen, but I think that we can be so earthly-minded that we are no heavenly good. In fact, Jesus tells us that if our focus is on the kingdom first and foremost, everything else gets taken care of. And that's a real soul shift, isn't it? That's a real soul shift. To confer with yourself what the Bible says about being so 
instead of being the hands and feet that he has called us to be. Scripture clearly says if you see your brother with a need and you tell him I'll be praying for you, you haven't met any need. If it isn't within your power to meet the need. So you're right. So it takes radical faith to take our eyes off of the temporal. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to, where we're going to go, what's going to happen next, especially in our current culture. And um, why do we want to take it off the temporal? Because what, what is your focus? What do you want to gain? Earthly riches or, heaven, or, or heavenly riches? Because with a real focus and a radical faith, we'll recognize where real fortune lies. Jesus says this in verse 32 through 34. He says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's another uh, another translation that says, um, Buy for yourself purses in heaven. So that fits with us ladies, right? So the great news is what is God's desire? He wants to give us the kingdom. He's not stingy. He is not a stingy God. He's not a selfish God. He wants us to give us the kingdom. He wants us to experience kingdom activity and, and kingdom joy and kingdom supernatural presence. But we have to be seekers because he rewards the seekers. He isn't hiding anything from us. We're getting ready to go into Christmas. How many of you are going to buy presents or hope to get presents? And when, you know, if you have small children, I have a beautiful little granddaughter this year who she's about 15 months and she just learned how to climb out of her playpen. I told my daughter-in-law, ooh, you're in trouble. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's over now. Nobody sleeps. (laughs) She's a cute little thing like her mama and uh, crazy like her daddy. And the daddy's mine. And so I know. But I've already been buying presents for that little girl even here. And I tell Angel, I got to get this stuff home. I need to be careful. But I see things and I think of her. And I will wrap them. But I will not wrap them to keep them from her. I will wrap them so that she can have the joy of unwrapping them. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't hide treasures to keep them from us. He knows the joy of seeking, and he invites us to that. Easter eggs, if you you do that thing and, you know, you make Easter eggs and you hide them, we don't hide them so the kids won't find them. We hide them so they will find them. There's a whole different shift there. And that's how God is towards us. He's hiding them for us. And there's more of a reward than we know when we run after discovering his heart. And so we kind of have to shift our minds there. Some of us think that God is keeping something from us. And a lot of times he just knows that we need to be harder seekers. And being a hard seeker is going to equip us to be a hard seeker and to go after the things of God. And what is in his heart, or rather, who is in his heart? Those in need. Jesus tells us to sell our possessions and get to the the poor. Now, mind you, there's a place in Scripture where a rich young ruler comes up to him, and he says, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives him a list of these good behaviors from Scripture, and, and he says, I've done all that. And Jesus, recognizing the area of his heart that needs to happen, tells him that he needs to sell everything and follow him. Here, God isn't saying sell everything, but he's saying sell something. Give something that's a surrender. 
Have you ever sold something for the sole purpose of giving to the needy? I love a, I heard Francis Chan preaching some time ago, uh, this message as I was, uh, a message on giving as I was driving in my car, and I just cried because I realized that I wasn't like that. And God does. He is like that. Uh, I don't think like that, but God does. And I need to think like God does. And he was talking about how great would it be if we we're sitting around as a family and we're like, remember that time we sold that car so that that village in Africa could have water? Remember that time that we, we gave away this so that that person would, wouldn't be in need anymore? Remember that time that, we, that we, um, get, we didn't use our Christmas presents so that the needy would have theirs or, or they would have a well in, a, in another country that they would be able to uh, be ministered to? You know, do we have stories like that? Usually when we sell something, it's because we need something and we want something or we want to get something bigger. So we sell this to give up what is bitter, bigger. And you know, most of us live, uh, we give out of our abundance. I have got extra, so I will give. And God invites us to give up what is ours. Maybe in what we need to abandon it, to give it up, to let it go so that the needs of others are met. Can you imagine what it would be like to teach this to next generation? That's an uncomfortable stretch and it really can reveal the attitude of our heart. Jesus says that that's where real fortune is. You know, if I were to say, do you want to get rich? Most of us would look for ways that we could make more money. How many of us think, yeah, I'd like to be rich, and we look for ways that we can give? The NIV is where it says, um, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no mouth destroys. And so I want you to think about how many purses do you have in heaven? The rich man with the barns on earth lost it all. He lost his life. Giving it for the kingdom is a sure gain. And Jesus reveals the true state of our heart because he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is. But treasure, our heart follows what we treasure. And so it's not that our treasure follows what we heart. And so we can, we can think about that for a minute. We can begin to um, challenge our thinking about purses in heaven because the passion uh, for the kingdom uh, is where we storehouse things in heaven. Right focus, the kingdom, radical, fa uh, radical faith, which is sacrifice, assures real fortune, again, the kingdom. And why does he tell us all this? That's a shift in our thinking, right? And in this, as we enter into this holiday season, some of us are usually more giving at this time when it's a mentality he wants us to have forever, not just for this time. And why does he tell us this? Because we have to be ready to fight. Verse 35 through 48 says this, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. This is as an allusion to the parable of the ten virgins. Have the Holy Spirit in you and be ready when the master knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. 
Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, this is the master, and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You know, we don't talk much about eternal things. We don't talk much in in America lately about what happens after. We don't talk much about the, the end of all things, the rapture of the church. And there may be some who believe in, you know, pre-trib that we're going to be out before all the trouble begins. And some may believe in mid-trib that we're going to go through part of the trouble. See, most of us are even unaware of this biblical theology. And so I'll give you a quick lesson. Post-trib is that's after I'm pan-trib. It'll all work out. But we know from theology that there's a coming a time when God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, that this earth will pass away, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there are, we, we know that we, in that new heaven and new earth, there will be, uh, before it happens, there will be a, a taking away of those who believe in God, and they will come back to rule and reign with him over a thousand years on the earth and during that thousand years you can set it out biblically we, i can point you places people will still be on the earth who did not die and who were not raptured they will be mortals they will live and marry and go to school and work and so who's going to watch over them with god the faithful ones so the faithful ones will see, you know many of us we look at what god is doing in our lives and we make statements over ourselves like i'm too old I always wanted to do that, but now I'm too old, and now it's too late. How long are you going to live? What, this, this right here is the womb place before going into uh, death that leads to life. This is not the end. This is the prep ground for what's coming. And so we have to change our perspective. Are we getting ready for just what's here? Or are we getting ready for the forever? There's a, there's a YouTube video by Francis Chan. It's called The Rope Illustration. Just Google The Rope Illustration uh, when you get home and, and look it up on TV. And uh, he, he pulls out a long rope that goes, well, I'll, I won't tell you about it. I'll let you Google it. But the premise is that we're, we spend all this time trying to focus on retirement and we build and we pay and we give. How many of us say, I just can't wait. I'm saving up a nest egg because I'm going to retire and then I'm going to be able to take it easy. I've worked hard. There's no retirement plan on earth for kingdom workers. There's no, you've done all you have to do, now you don't have to do anymore. The re- God's retirement plan is in eternity. And we, Francis Chan, in a point of that where he says, uh, he gave $1,000 to something. He goes, man, what and he goes, and people look at me like I'm crazy because I've poured $1,000 into my forever. And he goes, man, you just, you just bought a big screen TV for $1,000. you are crazy because you're not pouring into your forever. And so we have to understand that God has a long view and a long message for our life. It goes into eternity, and I really feel it's time for the church of God to start shifting their mindset back to the forever. 
We get so wrapped up in the here and now that, that we, you know, there's so many things that if we had a kingdom perspective, would this really matter? The things that we worry and strive and fight about, would it really matter in the light of forever? You know, does it matter that, you know, my husband didn't uh, put the toilet seat down or up in the middle of the night and I get, no, but that's not going to matter in forever. But what is going to matter in forever is how I treat him and how I love him and how I'm faithful to him. And so these perspectives need to be shifted in us. And so Peter says, uh, well, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. See, this, this is a prophetic promise of what's to come. If you're faithful in what I give you here, I will increase your, your, your responsibility up there. If you're faithful here, I will reward you up there. And we have, we have multiple places of scripture where this is told again. The parable of the talents, the parable of the minas. God's saying, you take care of my business here. I got you. I'll take care of you over there. So he says, blessed is a servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, taking care of, being a good steward. Who do we belong to? God. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that house will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given or to him of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. And Jesus is saying there, he is saying um, in that beating things, he's saying, if you know what you're do to do, it's right, and you don't do it, that's sin. And there will be a severe punishment for it. But if you don't know what you're doing and you still sin, there's still punishment. There's still consequences, whether we know or not. How many of you know if you speed through a school zone, true story just happened to my husband, and you don't realize the speed limit, and you think you're doing the speed limit, guess what? You still get a ticket. Still have to go to traffic school. Still have to take care of it. They may be more gracious to you and understand this is what happened, but it still happens, right? But we're not the unaware. We're very aware. And God isn't putting it on that. He is putting this on us that we would have a reverence fear for him. Fear the one who can kill body and soul. Not as, that, as if you're tormented because perfect love, which we're supposed to walk in from God, casts out fear. Because perfect love keeps us in a place of obedience. God knows he has our heart even if we mess up. And that is a journey of surrender that we have to walk in. So Jesus has given us parable here. This is another parable. And he's telling us we have to be ready and working for the kingdom. I shared with a group yesterday, Jesus said this multiple times, the father is working and I am working. 
The Father is working on the earth. God is active, and we need to be working too. Not in our own thing and not in those, uh, you know, uh, and things that don't matter. we got to be working on our inward heart. The struggle will end, and we need to be wor- letting it be revealed out in the kingdom. God is working, and I am working. And you know, his burden isn't heavy. His burden is easy and light. And so if we're struggling and we're weary, we're doing it in our own strength, not in God's. Do you know that um, most people do not have um, a vehicle? 90% of the world struggles with water. In America, we're in, a very, we're in a very small, concentrated place, and we're very wealthy. Most people don't own a TV. How many of you have at least two? Most people, like I said, they don't have a car. How many of you have at least two? Most people don't have running water. How many, how many of you can go to the faucet and not worry about it coming out? Right. Even our little is much more than most of the world has. When I was with Teen Challenge, you know that uh, every seven minutes, someone dies from an addiction-related death. And every 23 minutes, a baby is born addicted to opioids. And in human trafficking, women and children and men are stolen at alarming rates and put into slavery or sexual trade. And when they get out of it, rescued out of it, they face such a brokenness. We minister in Teen Challenge to women who have experienced at their own hand and at the hand of others horrific, horrific atrocities. And they need someone who's willing to surrender their time and their efforts and their stuff to go in and to love on them and encourage. We do most of what we do there. Everything we do there is complete missions. We minister to the staff. Can you imagine 24-7 being with 40 or 50 broken women who are trying to walk out life and hope and help? We've got to be able to surrender because who much has been given. And no matter if you think you have nothing, let's ask God to change our perspective. We have so much more than we realize. As a matter of fact, an attitude of gratitude is what will shift you into recognizing what you have. Think about the thing, and if you have a struggle with it, begin to every day force yourself to sit down and say things you're grateful for. How many of you this morning got up and said, God, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for this. It begins to shift it. You know, even psychologically, they tell us that if the happier people are the most productive people. See, we turn it, or the most productive people are the most, uh, no, the happiest are the most productive. We think that if I could just gain something, if I could just get here, how many of you say, you know what, I'm going to be a giver once I start making this amount of money. I'm going to be a giver once I have all these bills paid off. Do you know if, if our line of success is way out there and we keep moving it, we will never reach happiness. Yet if we reach happiness, if we recognize how blessed we are, how great God is and how good it is, then we will reach the places we want to reach. There's a great uh, TED Talk called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker that really speaks to that. He's hilarious, and he shows us the, the psychology and the research that shows you've got to be happy 
if you want to meet anywhere. And do you, do you recognize the richness of this word? God is saying, you do my work. You know, at John 13, he, before he's going to go into the dark night of his soul and be killed on the cross, and it was a dark night of his soul. Read the Garden of Gethsemane account. He sweats drop of blood. He agonizes over this choice that he has, that he can make for you and I. He agonizes over it. Before he does that, though, uh, he pours into the people around him, so much so that he washes, he puts a towel on, and he washes the disciples' feet. How many of us, we're so worried about our own life, we can't even think about anybody else? Are any of you facing crucifixion come Friday? Do you got to die for someone who doesn't deserve it? You didn't do anything wrong, and you're going to give your life for someone who doesn't deserve it? No. He had a dark night ahead of him, yet he was able to look around in the moment and love those who are with him. And he puts on a towel, and he serves them to prep them for the servanthood that he calls them to. And here he tells us, this is, this is a prophetic, eternal perspective in this chapter. He tells us, when you get here, I'm going to put on the towel again. And I'm going to have you sit at the table and recline. And I'm going to serve you as you share the stories of victory that you accomplished here. And then he says this in, in verse 49 through the end of the chapter. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. God is waiting for a fire to be ignited in us. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? And I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother-in-law. against her And mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he's saying here, he's saying that his, there are going to be those on fire and those who are purified, and there's going to be those who reject it. And that's just the nature of what it is. And he also said to them, when you see a cloud rising in the west, and you say at once, a shower is coming, you, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So Jesus is saying we're very aware of our temporal surroundings. And we can look about and say what's going to happen, but he's like, if your heart is turned towards me, you're going to know what I'm doing on the earth. And God is always working. God, I, I challenge people, I coach and mentor all the time, what is the activity of God right now? In your church, what is the activity of God? In your life right now, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute and put your hands on your heart, been to the retreat, you know that stance. And take a deep breath. I know I fire-hosed you, but really I'm telling you the story of the kingdom and having a kingdom perspective. And even as I share this message with you, it pushes on um, places with you. And what, and you know, ask the Lord out loud, God, what are you doing in my life right now? In the last four years, I've asked God so many times, what is going on here? What do you need fixed in me? 
so I can be ready to do what you're going to do. Jesus says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in the prison, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. And that seems like an odd thing there, but in essence, Jesus is really saying, you know the thing that's blocking you. And you know your accuser knows it. And we fight in denial so often. No, that's not me. I'm not struggling. I don't have any problems. And Jesus is saying, you're going you're gonna to have to wrestle it out and pay for it anyways. You might as well recognize, you know what? I do have troubles. You know, the accuser of the brethren is the enemy. And he's, he has access into the heavenly realm. The story of Job. Satan's like, what about Job? Peter, Jesus says that before he leaves the earth, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And when I'm praying for you, <laughs> when you get through it, go and encourage others. And what he is saying is if there are hooks in us, the enemy can get into that are going to keep us from the kingdom and keep us from an, a, 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 a kingdom perspective, we're going to pay for it. And, and he's talking there about a hierarchical system, read Hebrews and so forth, that the, the enemy, where does he go? We know from scripture, he goes to Jesus, goes to God and complains about us. And God says, accept what you've done wrong before he gets here, repent, and you're going to be able to walk out free. If you're going to hold it in bondage to yourself, you're always going to be in bondage and you're going to pay for it. And why do you need to do it? Because there's kingdom work to be done. And there's kingdom resources to be tapped into. And there's freedom that needs to be brought out because God has an eternal perspective. He doesn't think like we do. We need to have a right focus and we need God to shift our focus. We need to have a radical faith. And that radical faith doesn't mean, you know, God isn't going to cause you to do everything he caused someone else to do, but he is going to call you to do something. God will call you to move and to be ready to move, not necessarily uh, location, but heart when he, when he needs you. We are, we are enlisted in the service of God, and we need that radical faith. Only then will we understand real fortune, and when we have those things in place, we'll be ready to fight. We'll fight our enemies. We'll fight the right battles. We'll be ready to walk in bold faith. You know, God never said it was going to be easy, just worth it. And we don't have to make it harder by being difficult. Yeah. Sure. Do you want the mic? Um, go ahead. Take it. Um, based off this, I just want to share a testimony. Um, when I was going through the missions core course, I was I did a one-on-one -on -one with Lavon, and I was like, yeah, when my kids graduate, I'm gonna do this, and once I get my kids raised, I'm gonna go do this, and da 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 da. And she looked at me. She goes, I want you to sit down with the Lord, and I want you to ask instead of looking at your kids as your mission field, start looking at your at your kids as your mission team. So I'm like, okay. 
so lines up with this. So I sit down with the Lord, and I'm like, all right, Lord, how do I get my teenagers to Panama? <laughs> and so I prayed about it, and I processed it, and God put me in an office chair, and it was like the chair just started spinning, and he just started showing me all of these times sitting at football games and baseball games and school functions when there's girls like that come up and like, hey, mom, we love you. You know, and I get the opportunity to love on them and minister to them. Um, boys that come and spend the night at my house with my boys that I get to minister to them that they're not getting at other places. And just this Sunday, standing here in church, my son calls me and he says, mom, I need you. And I'm like, why? And he said, so-and-so just punched the window out of my car. And so I go there. I'm the first adult on the scene. Angry. Um, so, you know, long story short, the boy was fighting with his girlfriend. He got out of his car and punched my son's window. So the first things when he comes back, you know, I'm going to make sure, you know, is your hand okay? Do you need stitches? And the first thing he says to me is, Jen, I'm sorry. I'll pay for it. And I understand if AJ's never allowed to hang out with me again. And immediately, I, that, I know where this kid's come from, you know, abandonment issues and all of that stuff. So the last thing that I'm going to do is abandon him. And so, again, God put an opportunity for me to minister to this boy. And, again, this morning we were texting because there's trouble and stuff. And he's my, that's my mission field right now. My kids are bringing people to me to be able to work Jesus through me and out in that way. You know, I had a friend who uh, lived across the street from me, and she she would say the same thing as Jen. You know, well, I got to wait for my kids, and I've got to wait for my husband, and uh, and I've got to do this and that, Lord, and then I'll do what you want me to do. Which is, um, you do realize that that is putting yourself in a place of authority over God. God, I'm going to tell you what's what. Wow. And we don't realize it. And the Lord said to her, ever so kindly, "Do you know?" I can move them out of your way. If they're in the way of you following after me, I can move them out of the way. Because we have to have a right perspective. They belong to the Lord anyways. They'll, they will be taken care of. If you love them and you lead them in the kingdom and you invite them on the journey with you because you're building them up to be followers uh, after the faith. God, what did he say in this parable alone? You take care of my business? I'll take care of your business. Who would you rather have taken care of your business? You or God? He does good business. And he's faithful. Now, it doesn't look like we think it's going to look. I didn't think I'd be selling everything and living in a basement apartment. But I sure love that basement apartment. Easy to clean. I'm all by myself. My landlord is heaven sent. And so I'm very grateful for that place. But I would have had it, you know, if I plan it, it's going to be way different. But if God plans it, it's going to be way good. I love that, Jen. We need, to, we need to think about that. We need to have a right focus. We need to look at the mission field that God is bringing. We miss Jesus right in front of us all the time. You know, if, we could, if we could shift that perspective, we, we want to wait till we get somewhere. You know, we have social activism going on like crazy right now, and, and it's been, you know, pushed all over. And I love what Dallas Willard said. He goes, if you're a true social activist, you're going to care about your neighbor and take care of them instead of worrying about what's out in the world. If I can't be kind to you, what impact am I going to make out there? I might be able to do good deeds, but God says if I don't have love, 
I am nothing and it is nothing. And we walk out that love place. I know it's hard, but it is worth it. And God is faithful. And I, I pray we all have a kingdom perspective like that. Any thoughts? Any questions? What, where, what do you see God shifting in you? Now, what did I ask you to pray for? What is God? What is the activity of God in your life right now? Jen just shared what hers is, ministering to those teenagers that God brings in her path. How many of you can see an activity of God in your life right now? What is it? Share it. Speak it out loud. Confess so that we can hold you accountable. Because you're thinking outward and God's like, I've, I've changed you here and I need you to be okay with it right now. Yeah. And as you've turned towards it, he's, he's going to begin to shift that in you. And did your need get met? You know, and, and, and we're going to pray with you. We'll all pray together before we go. Someone else, what's the activity of God? You know, and she just shared a very uncomfortable activity of God in her life right now. She is out of her comfort zone because she's sacrificing to love and care for others. Right. You know, I want to share with you, when we're ministering to others, we need to recognize, and I realize I didn't do this the other day, but you guys will get it now. We need to understand something that's called the theological triage. Theological triage. We're going to run into people who are going to have a different mindset than us. And so we need to recognize that there's, like a nurse, a nur you understand triage, right? To see uh, what's in danger and what needs to happen. And we have to be very careful when we're on the outside looking in. And we're on the outside looking in of almost everybody's life. And so read Matthew 7. I can't make a judgment about you. Uh, because I've got some of my own stuff. And so I've got to be willing to pull the two by four, according to Matthew 7, 1 through 6, out of my own eye, meaning deal with my own stuff. Because, you know, we always hear, don't judge, don't judge me, don't judge. We make judgments all the time. It's just, it's part of human nature. You're not going to not judge. And so God really set a place in my, in, in, in place, set in place how we judge. And in Matthew 7, he says, in the manner you judge, you will be judged. And we put that, uh, it, 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 everything in scripture, remember the when I showed you before, we have this linear life and then we have this deep life. And so God says, if you're merciful, you're going to get merciful. That's in the eternal. But temporally, if, if I go to Jen and I start um, whomping on Jen about her life, uh, I'm judging her harshly. What am I going to get from Jen? Harshness. And so as I judge, I am judged. And he tells us, he tells us to first take the plank out of our own eye before we even dare try to help someone move the splinter out of their eye. And so we have to be very careful about that. And when we recognize what, what we cost heaven, because our sin did send him there, we're going to have a whole lot more mercy when we look at what someone else is doing. And we don't know where their crankiness is coming from. Like her, you, that guy, he's got abandonment. He says, you know, just I'm, I'm ready for you to leave me. Everybody else does. Go ahead and leave. 
And the human nature would be to leave. Yeah, you're right. I'm pretty mad at you and you did it wrong. But we go lower in God. And in that portion of scripture, he says something else, which seems out of place. And he says, um, don't cast your pearls before swine. And in other words, he's saying not everybody's ready for your great wisdom. And you, you, we can talk and talk and talk and try and make people align with what we align, what we want them to align with. But more so, we've got to be willing to walk in love. And so we need to understand there are tiers. This is the first tier. This is the second tier. And this is the third tier. For us to walk together with anyone in faith, these, these things matter, this first tier. And these things that matter is the Lord, the, the, Jesus is the God man, fully God and fully man. And that is a first tier theological issue. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is how he reveals himself in scripture, and that is what we need to understand about him. The authority of the scriptures, that's the bedrock of the gospel, and that is a first tier or, or um, cr crisis important in place that we need to land on. Uh, we need to understand, you know, the authority of scripture, uh, that, uh, scripture alone, that God alone, that the, and everything is to the glory of God. Now, some of the second tier things would be confession, how people do confession. Some confess to priests, some confess to others. That, that isn't an essential about Jesus. This is all about the lordship of the Trinity. That's about how we do the Trinity on earth. Some of us, uh, it's, it's um, how we enter into covenant, the particulars of, of our covenant. That's a second tier. It matters but it's not a it's not a end point. It's not like a, a game changer there, or a non negotiable. The Lord's Supper, we do communion different ways. It matters, but it's not a game changer because the Lordship of Jesus Christ is there. Um, role, gender roles in the church, we we're not getting everybody to agree. Some are egalitarian where they believe that men and women are equal. Some are complementarian where they believe that women are there to complement men. It's it's not a hill we need to die on. Believe me, I've been a woman in ministry for over 25 years. I don't ever die on that hill. If you want to discuss scripture, let's discuss it. If you're locked in your place, that's okay. We can choose to disagree. I don't have to minister where you're at. God's going to open plenty of doors. Um some other things that are there are core values of what we stand on that are apart from this tier one. Those things, those things are just not hills we need to die on in scripture. Eschatology, the pre-trib, the post-trib, the pan-trib, those are things that, that matter, but they're not a hill we need to die on. And eschatology is the study of end things, what we believe about the end times. Because we have some, we've, we, you know, read some scriptures, some as long as it doesn't, um, that's a study of the church, as long as it doesn't uh, go into this triage of, of Trinity, I'm not writing those things down, but of Trinity and so forth. Uh, so those last day things about the church and Christianity and so forth. And the third tier, the non-essentials. So these are, these are non-negotiables, these are essentials, these are non-essentials that we look at. And some of the non-essentials is 
um, how we deal with difficult times. That's one of them. Understanding gifts. There's a lot of people who feel differently about spiritual gifts. Um, different things that would be in there. I'm trying to think. In, uh, millennial views could be there. Um, understanding of difficult tasks and times. Those, those are the things that are non-essential. It doesn't matter. You don't have to believe the way I believe. We can, we can still be in the kingdom together if we believe this. You know, we get so afraid of witnessing to other people and stuff because we think, oh, no, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, speak in tongues, so it's okay. They can if they want to. So it doesn't mean that we have to fight. They believe that Jesus is the God-man, that he was fully God and fully man, not half God and half man, that he, that he came and he actually died on the cross, that we are justified by faith alone and the scriptures are our final authority. Those are the non-negotiables. And, we, and so let's not think about what we do or don't do that's different. Let's look at what we do do that's right and lean into where we can celebrate God together. Does that make sense? Does that help kind of to know? Because we struggle sometimes. You know, there's some cult. So a cult out there is that we're going to have an issue because we got a problem right here. We as believers, we should have a biblical worldview, not a Christian worldview. And a lot of us have not a Christian worldview only, and a lot of us have a Christian worldview. Well, I just said that there's a lot of different things in Christendom, right? So a biblical worldview is based on the essentials of the word of God. And so we've got to know this to be able to understand what we believe. We base our decisions on this. I'll just tell you, I'll just, can, can I throw out a hot button? The sanctity of life. So as Christians, we have some different worldviews about that. But what does God say? Before I knew you, before I formed you in the womb, when you were, look at Psalms 139, when you were yet a, um, when, before you were considered a fetus, when you were, as, the, as those who are pro-choice would say, when you were just a glob of cells, I knew you. I knew the plans I had for you. I knew what I was doing. Well, that's not, it's not a biblical term. It's just a cute little euphemism that we use with our parents. He says, before you were formed in, our, in, our, in, your, in the womb, so before you had started to develop the heartbeat, see, we like to set a standard in the world. What if they have a heartbeat? Heartbeat comes at like a few days. And so we can have a Christian worldview, and a lot of times it comes from our wounded places, and we try to wrestle it out, and we're going to say, well, I'm okay with abortion. But if we look at a biblical worldview, no matter how we feel about it, God is not. Murder is murder. And that is not here, but it's an essential that we need to look at. And no matter where you see, there's a lot of times we can get really worked up, and that's fine. But if we're going to have a, if we're Christians, we should have a biblical worldview, right? And if we're going to have a biblical worldview, Let's, if we're going to have a disagreement, let's reason together in the scriptures so that we can walk out together in faith. And a lot of times we make decisions, quote unquote, Christian that are really based on preference. And there's a big difference between preference and conviction. And that preference isn't necessarily what God uh, convicts. It's what we are comfortable with. 
And as we're walking out this life of faith, we're becoming new creatures. When we go from death to life, we were uh, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's going to be a shift. There's going to be some changes, and there's going to be some growth, and we've got to go after it. Now, if we have uh, taken life, is there forgiveness and grace? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty much everything's forgivable, except for calling the things of God demonic saying the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of the devil. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. God leading you and you choose to not walk in it. Mocking a move of God on the earth that you don't understand is a dangerous place to be. But everything else is forgivable. We just have to take it to the cross. And if someone is struggling, we take them to the cross. Not to crucify them ourselves, but to remind them that Jesus loves them and he's died for them. And most of us have been forgiven things that are you know, remind us. I am for, you know, when we have, remember I talked about that double-mindedness, when we intellectually know we've been forgiven and we still want to punish ourselves by guilt, we're not walking in a heart understanding that we have truly been forgiven. When we want to add to the punishment that we think we should get from God, we're actually positioning ourselves above scripture and above God saying cross is a great thing, but it really couldn't pay for what I did. And that is not true. And so we have to begin to wrestle out that place in our heart. I am forgiven. I am loved. If I mess up today and I go to Jesus, I can mess up royally. Look at King David. Look at Moses. Look at others. I can mess up today, go to my father and be forgiven and restored. See, in, in, in the earth, we don't restore so well. We say, you are what you did that. It's over. That's, that's not a biblical thing. Look how many do-overs people got in scripture. Huge do-overs. Uh, how come we decide that you don't get a do-over? Even that whole passage I read you in Luke, God is telling us this is a mindset you need to have, and you're going to have to wrestle it out. And it's gonna, you're going you're gonna to wrestle, and that's okay because he's faithful to us in the wrestle. We just got to engage in the process. And so how many of us struggle with the engagement? We're, we're feeling overwhelmed by our circumstances. We're struggling to lean into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of this earth is overwhelming and fearful and troublesome. Anybody get there? You know, Penny mentioned she needs prayer to walk out that kingdom calling God has her in right now. And we probably all do. And so I do want to pray with you. And, you know, maybe, maybe Kitty, could you come, you know, just put a hand on Penny and love on her in this? You know, so I share these words to challenge you to that there are greater things ahead of you. You maybe thought your best days were behind you. With God, the best days are always ahead. They're always in the future. Because heaven's in the future. Eternity's in the future. And so I want to pray over you that God would just put his grace on you, that where you struggle with greed, God would begin to release generosity, and as you walk that out, God will do that. As you struggle with fear, God will just impart to you faith because he is faithful. 
As you struggle with lack, you would remember that he is the God of abundant provision. And he knows what you need. Maybe you need peace right now. I speak peace over you. Maybe you need joy right now. We speak joy over you. Maybe you need uh, comfort right now. He is the God of all comfort. But if we have anything blocking us, if we have fear, if we have doubt, if we have judgments blocking us from receiving it, it'll feel like God's not there, and he is there. And so, Lord, thank you that you invite us on a journey. Thank you that even in our struggle, you are faithful and you take pleasure in us. Thank you, God, that you lead us in everlasting ways. And as we pour into the kingdom, there is shalom, nothing lost, nothing broken. And so begin to wrestle in the places of us as we join in the wrestle with you and we walk out faithfully forever moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you. I just pop in for a good challenge and then fly out. <laughs> so, leave them to deal with it. And be encouraged. God has kingdom things for you. And thank you for letting me share with you tonight. Well, goodness, another hour and a half. <laughs> You're free to go may you go in peace and if you have any questions come on up talk with dr shelley if you need prayer come up katie jen myself mom and dad are up here we can pray with you if you need prayer um but have a beautiful week and and not just because it's thanksgiving you know I, it's so easy to become ungrateful and we are a blessed 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 nation be a be a a child of God that is grateful for everything, even the struggle, because even in the middle of the struggle, he's there. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you Sunday.